Welcome to this edition of Amazing Creation. I'm your host, Fred Johnson. This show is about the credibility of the scriptures as they pertain to the creation of the world and our origins, and in contrast to the dogma of evolution. The show is produced by the Triangle Association for the Science of Creation. That's shortened to TASC, T-A-S-C, a Raleigh, North Carolina group of scientists and lay folks whose mission is to increase awareness of the scientific evidence supporting the plain, straightforward understanding of the biblical account of creation. Evolution is almost universally now taught in our public schools, colleges, and universities as the origin of all of life we see around us. But there are many, including highly educated scientists, who see evolution not only as impossible, but moreover as untenable when made to stand beside the revealed Word of God in the Bible. Our topic today is entitled, On the Origin of Humans, with Dr. Dan Reynolds. Dr. Reynolds has been on this show a couple of times before, and we are very glad to have him back. Dr. Reynolds has a Ph.D. in organic chemistry from the the University of Texas at Austin, and he has recently retired from almost 25 years at the GSK Pharmaceutical Company. And Dan has served task in a number of offices for many years. Dan, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Fred. It's good to be back. Dan, I'd like to begin by asking you to describe the differences between the secular and biblical views on human origins, and why does it matter which view one holds to? One of the key issues in the creation-evolution debate is the origin of humans, homo sapiens. What we think about the origin of our own species has a dramatic impact on our morality and worldview because it affects how we answer the questions of who and what we are and why we exist. The secular and biblical views of our origins are diametrically opposed to each other and must come to totally different conclusions about our place in the universe. Secular scientists tell us that the evidence that we evolved from a common ancestor with primates is overwhelming. But just how good is that evidence? The Bible teaches we were made in God's image and designed to have fellowship with Him both now and forever. Recent results in the field of genetics have been remarkably in accord with the biblical model for human origins and against evolutionary scenarios. We'll discuss some of these shortly. The Bible teaches that Adam and Eve were created supernaturally by God about 6,000 years ago. According to Scripture, all the humans that have ever lived came from this couple. Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden by eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This disobedience resulted in the fall. The fall gave Adam and Eve and their descendants a sin nature, a natural tendency to reject God's will. Scripture teaches that the fall brought physical and spiritual death into the world, as well as decay to the rest of creation. Our sin nature makes us naturally selfish, rebellious towards God, and prone to deceit. This is why the last Adam, Jesus Christ, had to come and do what we could never do, live a perfect life. He was also able to pay for our sins by taking our place in judgment. This is the gospel. Without Adam, Eve, and the fall, there would be no need for the saving work of Christ. So we see that the gospel presupposes the historical reality of Adam and Eve. In contrast, from a strictly evolutionary point of view, Our innate self-centeredness is understood as merely a trait that increases the likelihood of survival. The Bible says that because of sin, God destroyed all but eight people by a global flood about 1,500 years later. Those eight people were Noah, his wife, their three sons, 
and the son's three wives. The three younger couples repopulated the earth. Then about a century later, God divided and dispersed all the people then living from Babylon to all the world. In contrast, the secular model teaches that life evolved over billions of years by an undirected process. Somehow, chemicals became a single-celled organism from which evolved multicellular organisms, such as vertebrates, amphibians, reptiles, mammals, primates, and finally humans. Descent with modification, that is, genetic mutations acted upon by natural selection, also called neo-Darwinism, is the process allegedly responsible for the diversity of all life. Supposedly, we and our closest living primate relative, the chimpanzee, diverged from a common ancestor about six million years ago. Secular scientists determined the alleged evolutionary relatedness of species by comparison of their morphology, that is, their body plans, DNA, and proteins. The more similar body plans and biomolecules between species are, the more related and more recent the divergence from a common ancestor, as the story goes. As it turns out, recent science supports the biblical view and or discredits the evolutionary view. Specifically, data once held up as indisputable evidence for evolution can now be claimed by creationists. This evidence includes so-called junk DNA as alleged proof for common ancestry with primates. Then there's the actual percent similarity of the human and chimpanzee genomes. Then the supposed historical fusion of two primate chromosomes that allegedly proves humans share common ancestry with primates is unlikely. Genetic evidence that demonstrates Homo sapiens and Neanderthals interbred and hence the same species. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, the gen there's genetic evidence that is consistent with Adam and Eve as well as Noah and his family. You referred to junk DNA. Can you explain for our listeners what that is and how is it thought to be evidence for evolution? Sure. Common ancestry, says, say evolutionists, is firmly established by comparison of the sequences of junk DNA in related species. Recall that DNA is the molecule that stores genetic instructions in the form of chemical sentences using what are called bases as the words. The order of the bases determines the chemical message. The central dogma of biology is that DNA is transcribed into RNA and RNA is translated into proteins. Proteins are made from amino acids. The type and order of the amino acids found in a particular protein are determined by the original information found in the DNA. DNA is transcribed into RNA by a protein enzyme called RNA polymerase. RNA that is translated into proteins is known as messenger RNA because it carries a message from the coding DNA in the cell nucleus to a molecular machine called the ribosome outside the nucleus. The ribosome reads the message in the messenger RNA and translates the message into a protein with a specific amino acid sequence. Hence, comparison of protein amino acid sequences between species can serve as a substitute for comparison of DNA. As it turns out, only about 2% of human DNA actually codes for proteins. These protein coding sequences make up the 23,000 genes in our DNA. The remaining 98% was assumed functionless, a remnant of our evolutionary history, 
or in other words, junk. Evolutionists ask why organisms would have similar junk DNA unless they evolved from a common ancestor. Surely a creator would not litter the genome of his creatures with useless DNA and surely not with the same useless DNA across different species. At first sight, this reasoning seems compelling. But as it turns out, it was built upon the false premise that most non-coding DNA was evolutionary leftovers without function. Indeed, a project called the Encyclopedia of DNA Elements, or ENCODE for short, published several papers in 2012 on the functionality of DNA that does not code for proteins, the so-called junk DNA. Their research showed most non-coding DNA, greater than 80%, is transcribed into RNA. As it turns out, the non-coding RNA, that is RNA that isn't translated into proteins, generated from the non-coding DNA has been found to have many regulatory and other functions, including repairing DNA, assisting in DNA replication, regulating DNA transcription into RNA, aiding in folding and maintenance of chromosomes, controlling RNA editing and splicing, helping fight diseases, regulating embryological development, and communication between cells. We now know a specific gene, or coding DNA, can be read several ways and hence be the source of many proteins. There are about 23,000 genes, but there are hundreds of thousands of proteins. Some of the non-coding DNA is transcribed into RNA that directs how messenger RNA should be spliced before translation in the ribosome. The various ways that non-coding DNA and its RNA transcripts can direct the splicing of messenger RNA transcripts that will be translated into proteins makes up what has been called the splicing code. If non-coding DNA does have useful functions, as the new evidence suggests, the evidence for common ancestry vanishes since one could argue that similar DNA sequences that serve similar functions could be the work of an intelligent designer. Indeed, as evolutionist genetics professor Dan Grauer has said, and I quote, If the human genome is indeed devoid of junk DNA as implied by the ENCODE project, then a long, undirected evolutionary process cannot explain the human genome. If, on the other hand, organisms are designed, then all DNA, or as much as possible, is expected to exhibit function. If ENCODE is right, then evolution is wrong." End quote. Dan, you also mentioned the claim of evolutionists that our DNA is very similar to that of the chimpanzee. I know you would like to tell us what the real story is on that topic. Sure. Well, the human genome consists of roughly 3 billion base pairs, 23 chromosomes, and by the way, chimpanzees have 24, each with 50 to 250 million nucleotides or letters, and 23,000 genes. Historically, most comparisons of human and chimpanzee DNA have found greater than 98% similarity, seemingly in accord with evolutionary expectations for closely related species with a recent common ancestor. However, most of these past studies were flawed. Most past studies focused only on exons, that is, the part of the DNA that is expressed as proteins, since the rest of the DNA was considered junk and was not conserved over evolutionary time. ENCODE has now shown the assumption that non-coding DNA is useless junk is false. 
Subsequent studies that were more comprehensive have shown that the real similarity is only 89% at best and most likely much less. Indeed, comparison of the Y chromosomes between humans and chimpanzees has showed at most only 70% similarity. This is especially significant because the variability of Y chromosomes in the humans alive today is less than most other genetic material, implying a relatively slow mutation rate. But if the human Y chromosome mutates only slowly, how can it then be so different from the chimpanzee Y chromosome if indeed humans and chimpanzees share a relatively recent common ancestor? We now know the, that 80% of the human chimpanzee proteins are dissimilar. This is possible despite the similarity of exons because the splicing codes mediated by non-coding RNA are very different between the two species. The discoveries that the human genome is mostly functional and that there are large differences between apes and humans were not predicted by evolutionists and have come as a shock to them. However, these truths are what we would expect if humans and apes were created as separate kinds as Genesis teaches. Well, Dan, I regret that we are about out of time today, but I'd love to hear more about what human DNA tells us about our origins. I'd like to get you back on the show very soon. Thank you for this exciting topic. And thanks to you listeners for tuning in. You can find out more about TASC and some good information about the scientific study of the world from the perspective of those who take the scripture seriously at the TASC website, task-creationscience.org. That's T-A-S-C-creationscience.org. There you can learn about TASC's monthly meetings, which are open to the public, subscribe to the monthly newsletter, and read and download previous articles. Until next time, this has been Fred Johnson for Amazing Creation.